The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and... This is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the advice, information, and inspiration you need to start or build your successful real estate investing career. And tonight, we are actually going to talk about real estate investing, as opposed to some of the topics we've had recently about flipping properties and buying notes and things that are more along the lines of uh, quick, quick, quick cash strategies that treat real estate like it was inventory. Tonight, we're going to talk to the landlords, all the current and wannabe rental property owners who uh, are looking to get properties that they can buy and hold. And the most important predictor of whether you're going to have a good experience or a bad experience as a rental housing provider is going to be in who you choose to be your customers. Too many folks don't really choose their tenants. They just wait for someone to come along who's got the deposit and the first month's rent and tells a good story and they throw the tenant on in there because vacancies are expensive. So tonight we're going to talk about one of the best ways in which you can protect your investment, which is screen your tenants right. My guest this evening is John Jones, who is a 20-year veteran of the property management business. He's currently the a property manager with Keller Williams Advisors Realty here in the greater Cincinnati area, and where many of us who are landlords might screen one, two, three, four tenants a year. He probably screens that many every single solitary week, and he's going to give us some advice about things that you may not know to do to make sure that you are dealing with folks who are going to be good tenants. Joining us by phone is John Jones. John, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. Good to be here. And I, I guess I should have disclosed in all that opening introduction that John is also my brother. Because yeah, that's just how we was raised. Yeah, because as you are driving to the show... And your scheduled guest calls and says, I have a family emergency and I can't be on your live radio program in an hour and 15 minutes. Who do you think to call? Family, right? And luckily, I happen to have some family that is also in real estate. So yay. (laughs) Yay, family. You think to call the most qualified tenant screener you know is what you do. That's right. That's right. If they also happen to be the best at the topic, that's absolutely awesome, too. 
So um, let's let's start with the just really basic question of who who in your mind and in the mind of your clients is a good tenant. What are we what are we talking about when we say I want to get a really good tenant? Yeah. Now, um, as as a licensed realtor, and as the disclaimer at the top of the show says, uh, you know, not to give anybody any specific legal or financial advice. So. My my policy is it's not up to me to tell you what's an acceptable tenant. It's up to you to decide what's an acceptable tenant. But having said that, there's a bunch of guidelines that I can that I can happily give you. You know, for instance, first thing we do is we have a discussion about fair housing law, and we say you know you're not allowed to decline somebody because of their family status or their religion or their race or anything like that. But pretty much anything that is not one of those protected classes um, then becomes fair play for you to consider. So we always tell people. Here are some things to consider that you may not have thought of. You know, do you want to rent to anybody who's got any kind of criminal background? Do you want to rent to somebody who's got credit issues? Do you want to rent to somebody who's had foreclosures in the past? Do you want to consider people based on how long they've been on their job? Um, a lot of people may not think about um, income qualifications, but they really should. You know, um, HUD standards say that nobody should be paying more than 30% of their gross ha- uh, household income towards their rent or housing payment. So that's a good place to start with that kind of standard. Um, so once we start um, educating the landlords and, and people that we work with that, um, you know, these are the things to consider, you know, we can ask them a few basic questions. And they can kind of take it from there. Um, I, I know a particular landlord here in town whose policy is not to rent to attorneys, for example. And um, so, you know, beyond the, it, it's up to you to determine what kind of standards you want to set, and you want to be realistic for the standards for your area. Um, one of the one of the examples I cite is that you know we had a, a landlord who was um, had a property in St. Bernard, and all they wanted out of that property was a tenant that had a 500 credit score, and it took me four applications to find them somebody who had a 500 credit score. <laughs> so, and and for know, folks it, for folks who might not know, 500 is. I can fog a mirror. I mean, 500 is, I don't pay my bills, but I pay some I've, bills. I've, <laughs> I've seen people who recently filed bankruptcy who had better than 500 credit scores. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, so what you need to do is just kind of set a set of standards for yourself. And it's, what you need to do is actually put those standards in writing so that if there's ever an issue, you know, you don't want to have a claim where somebody comes to you and says, well, you didn't want to rent to me because I'm in an interracial relationship, or you didn't want to rent to me because I'm a single mother. You want to be able to say, no, I didn't want to rent to you because according to my written standards right here, you have to have two years worth of good landlord references and a, and a minimum credit score of 600, and you don't have that. Um, again, you know, it is it is important to talk to people about being realistic um, about what to find. You know, in, in a lot of neighborhoods, a 600 credit score is not going to be something that's going to be easily attainable. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have to you have to consider kind of the demographics of who's going to be calling you. Um, now, having said that, you know, um, I I probably see more 700 credit scores than I do 500 credit scores, um, and that's because we we tend to rent some higher quality properties and things like that. But you know, you can still own property in in neighborhoods that are not as great neighborhoods and still uh, get some quality renters there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, b- bottom line is the goal of what we're going to talk about today is not that you're going to get the the best, shiniest, you know, most most high credit score human being in the world into every rental. It's that, number one, you know what you're getting because we're going to talk about ways to catch applicants lying on their applications. But number two, you got somebody who's got a reasonable chance based on their 
income and past behavior of successfully paying the rent during the course of the lease and also leaving the property in fairly good condition when they do leave. And that's uh, whether whether you've got a $4,000 a month luxury rental or you've got a $650 a month one bedroom apartment someplace, uh, the goal is pretty much the same. The question is, uh, what, what do the... Um, numbers that my applicants are going to be showing in terms of credit score and so on uh, allow me to do as a practical matter to not have my units empty all the time. Exactly. All right, we need to take a quick break. I want to remind listeners that you, if you have any questions about tenant screening, you have something that you've seen that has confused you, you're wondering about uh, how far you need to go with this, you, you have a story to tell, you can contact us by phone at 877-772-9658 during the live show here, or you can send an email uh, by going to realliferealestate.com, clicking the tab that says Ask a Question, filling out your question, and remember to tell us where you are writing from. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Jones, who is a full-time property manager with Keller Williams Advisors here in the Cincinnati area. And John, before I neglect to mention this, um, the WMKV Fund Drive ended a couple of weeks ago, and they came up a little bit short on their... uh, goal for this half of the year. And as a result, the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association has donated an additional five seats for real life real estate listeners at the big convention that's coming up November 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. Uh, it's a better deal than is available anyplace else. It's 123 for one person and 187 for two as a donation to WMKV. So in other words, you you make your donation to WMKV, you get tickets to the event, but the money goes to public radio, which of course helps keep real life real estate on the air along with all of the other great programming. And uh, John, the, the the reason I mention this to you is you have been at that event every year for 15 consecutive years. And I, you know, I... Uh... Lost I've track. been trying to think about that. I think it's actually slightly more than that. I think it was maybe 98 or so was the first year that I was yeah. there working with you. So. And I think I think my listeners are tired of hearing me tell them why they should come. So why do you think they should come? Well, it's, it's far and away the best event of its kind uh, anywhere in the country, I would say. I mean, we get, we get feedback from talking to um, people from literally around the country who come to this event, and they say this is the best-run event of its kind. You know, there's more education, there's more networking, there's more real business going on uh, than any other event of its kind. Um, you know, I, I work in the uh, bookstore there, and, uh, you know, we, we have um, advice. You know, we, we have people there to give you advice on what programs you may want to listen to, depending on what uh, uh, your particular area of interest is. And you just cover so many different topics. I mean, if it's somebody who's just getting started and needs kind of help setting their goals or getting their business plan together, or, you know, maybe somebody who um, has been rehabbing and wants to get into landlording or vice versa, you know, it, it covers just the full gamut every year. Mm-hmm. And I'm amazed that you're able to, to find the, um, the level and quality of speakers that you are 
uh, every single year and put together this program because uh, you know the, the the amount of moving parts that are involved is just mind-boggling. <laughs> yes, and that and that that is the job right there is finding the experts every year who have relevant information that is like you know based on real experience it's happening right now and not something that they did 15 years ago and they've made all their money selling courses since then. So uh, listeners, get, get your seat because there are only a limited number available available on this deal at wmkvfm.org. Right up at the top of the page, there's a big thing that says 2015 National Real Estate Strategy Summit. Click that, give you a description of what's going on, and you can make your pledge and um, doing a good thing for your own real estate business and also for public radio. So, John... Um, your clients don't have this problem because they have hired someone to be responsible for getting this whole system together and making sure that it gets run correctly. But for folks who are still self-managing their properties, what what is the thing that good tenant screening starts with? Like step one, my, I know my property's going vacant or maybe I just bought it. What's the first thing I need to go get before I can put it on the market and start running people through the screening system? Well, as I said, the, the first place that you start is by figuring out what a acceptable tenant is to you. And one of the things that, that a lot of people may not think about is it's okay to have different standards for different properties as long as you enforce those. As long as you say, you know, my Clifton rental property is different than my Madeira rental property because my Clifton property is going to be rented to students and my Madeira property is going to be much more expensive and more valuable to me. As long as you say, this is my minimum standard for my Clifton property, and this is my minimum standard for my Madeira property, and you always enforce those uniformly, you're fine to have different standards for those different properties. Uh, so that's the first thing that you want to do. And then what you do is you come up with a system to eliminate the uh, – to, to find the desirable traits that you want in a tenant. So um, you know, if, for example, you decide, I really want somebody who's very stable in their job, then you – I like to do it as a point system. I think that that's the most effective way to do it because you can go down and you can see in black and white why it is that you're making this decision about this person. You're not making a snap decision based on something. You're looking at the black and white of the situation. So if, for example, you have a point system and you say it's very important to me to find somebody who's been stable on their job, then you make time on the job to be worth a lot of points. And you make rent landlord reference to be worth a lot of points if that's important to you. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, again, you think about those qualities, and sometimes it may take a little tinkering with your system because you may you may look at your system and you may say, you know, I really thought this person was going to be good, but they didn't quite get enough points to qualify. Then you may tinker with your system a little bit as as you go on, but it's it's good to have that system in place. And and basically, what you do is you date all your revisions. You say this is what my system was as of September 2015, but then on October 2015, I made a revision. Mm-hmm. So that way, the the September 15, 2015 applicant who got rejected can't come back and say. Well, you you know you rejected me, but I would qualify now. Well, we changed our standards. It happens all the time. Yeah. So so um, so this is a this is a system that has a weighted score where maybe you don't care that much about credit. You know, maybe you'd like uh-huh. you'd like to have you'd like someone to have a seven hundred credit score, but if it's under seven hundred, they get zero points, and if it's over, they get one point because you just don't you know you don't find that to be as good a predictor of success as income where if they don't if they make three times the monthly income they might get two points but four times would give them four points so it becomes a a weighted thing where the things that are important to you add or subtract more to the 
to the end result. And then the end result is if you get 15 points or more, you are accepted. If you get 15 points or less, you are not accepted, something like that. Yeah, and you, and you can obviously make it, as you said, on a, on a scale where you say, you know, two years on the job gets you three points and uh, one year on the job, but you're in the same line of work for the past two years, gets you one point and that sort of thing. Um, because, you know, you want somebody who shows some consistency. You know, if you have somebody who, who left one company and went to work for another company and is doing the same kind of work, you don't want to punish somebody who's upwardly mobile. What you want to do is you want to eliminate people who, you know, oh, I worked at Taco Bell for three days and then I quit and then I went to work at this other place for two weeks, but then they fired me and I was out for work for seven months. You know, those are the things that you want to avoid because those are people who are not going to be uh, consistent on paying you, let's say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so you have your you have your whole, this is who I want and this is how I'm going to score them thing. And then what's the next thing to get? My my next step is to get a background check report, which I like a credit report as part of my background check because I really feel like um, credit uh, over the last several years working in working in um, you know higher end rentals than what I had previously done, um, I find that credit really is a good predictor of who's going to pay their rent on time. So um, I like to see, and you don't necessarily need to have somebody who's got a perfect credit score, but you know somebody who does well with the credit that they have. I mean, we've had situations where uh, you know, we put somebody into a rental who has a low credit score, and it's a $4,500 a month rental, but their credit isn't good because they, they're just bad at paying their bills, <laughs> and that ends up being a bad tenant. You know, it's somebody whose their rent comes in, rent's due on the first, well, their rent's coming in between the 7th and the, t- and the 12th every month. And... Uh, you know, you you go to the place afterwards and you find that they didn't bother to clean the place when they left. You know, those are people who are responsible with their credit are responsible in other areas of their lives. Um, one of the things I, I would really suggest to people is if you're going to allow pets in your rental, you may want to tie pets to a credit score. Because somebody who, somebody who has good credit is more likely to take their pet to the vet or clean up after it. Um, Interesting. And, and those are things that will affect your, that will affect your rental. Uh, great. Um, I think we skipped a step though. Okay. Uh, how, how do you find out what you need to know about them so that you can start checking them out? Well, first you're going to, uh, have a rental application. There we go. There we go. (laughs) The rental application, uh, the rental application shouldn't be so complicated that somebody looks at it and, and says, you know, just no, (laughs) And a lot of this depends on your type of rental, honestly. You know, people who, people who are renting a $2,000 a month house expect a different level of scrutiny than people who are renting a $400 a month apartment. Um, and their tolerance for doing things will be, will be different. So what you need to do is put together a rental application that has, uh, that asks the questions that you want asked. And at an absolute minimum, you know, you're going to want to know what are the names of the people who are going to be living in the place, um, what are your, you know, give me your last few years worth of landlord references. Where do you work? Um, a good rental application will ask them questions like, what is your bank account number, just in case? <laughs> um, you know, given the fact that I, you know, I'm running, as you mentioned, hundreds of credit reports, um, I have very few people who, who battle with me about putting down their bank account information on a, on a rental application. And what that means is if I end up having to collect from those people because there's any sort of court action or anything like that, I don't have an issue with that because I've, I've got this bank account information. 
So you do want to have a rental application. You do want to charge an application fee. Um, I I was having a discussion with um, one of your old rental managers many years ago, and she was saying, I, if it was up to me, I'd be charging a, a 50 or $75 application fee because I'm tired of people lying to me because, you know, it's $10 or $20 for the application fee, but they're not going to lie to me if it's 50 bucks. 50 bucks are just not going to bother to apply. So her, her thought was, I'm going to get a lot fewer applications, but you know what? The ones I get are going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, your time is worth something, and it's going to take you some time to go through these these rental applications and, and figure something out about people. So I, I definitely recommend charging an application fee because a lot of the people who don't charge application fees are people who just aren't bothering to check, and those are the landlords. You always wonder where your bad tenant who, who skipped out owing you two months' rent and did damage to the place, you always wonder how they found somebody to rent to them. It's because nobody called you and asked you about them. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. those are the people who aren't, having people fill out rental applications and, and charging application fees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we need to take a quick break, uh, after which we will come back and talk about what to do with the application once you've gotten people's names, social security numbers, dates of birth, uh, where they work, all of that stuff that you need in the application. What to do about checking that information. We're also going to take listener calls at 877-772-9658, or you can send us an email by going to realliferealestate.com filling in the ask a question uh, uh, form there and remembering to tell us where you're writing from because sometimes the state that you're in does make a difference we'll be back right after this Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Jones, a property manager with Keller Williams Advisors, who's probably screened more tenants this month than you're going to screen in your entire life. And we're talking about some of the things that you need to make sure that you do, like have a good application to start with and have some sort of idea going in what you will accept in a tenant, because if you do not... The result is that you end up taking somebody who you have a good feeling about. And, 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 and John, what do we think about tenants that we just have a good feeling about? Well, my basic philosophy is I assume that everything that they're telling me is wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, scam artists don't, don't get to continue to be scam artists by being not friendly, charming, and believable. Right. I right. mean, you, you... and said, well, don't bother calling him because he's out of the country right now. Mm-hmm. And, well, we did call him. And what do you know? He wasn't out of the country and he didn't write them a reference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So starting with starting with stuff as simple as just verifying that what they have said is true. And, and you know, for that matter, um, do you verify identity? Yeah, you should always be checking ID on the um on uh, an application, um, you know, we had a we had a tenant back in the late '80s who used his brother's driver's license to get his house and uh, used his brother's social security number, and nobody bothered to verify that this was not the person that they were actually talking to. So, um, uh, th- that kind of fraud is the kind of the easiest thing because it's just. I'm going to need you to produce a picture ID, and you make a copy of it. And you put it with the application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that guy. He uh, this was uh, this was one of our father's properties, and his yeah. his name was Robert or something. But he applied under the name 
DJ. I mean, it was something so unrelated that and, and it took it took like a year to figure out that the guy living in the property wasn't the guy on the application. And um, I remember I remember calling him up and asking about that being really innocent, you know, because <laughs> I'd only been in real estate a couple of years and I didn't I didn't know that this was not that uncommon. And I said, how come the application and the lease says DJ, but your checks say Robert? And he went sputter, sputter, sputter. Well, they call me DJ. Really? <laughs> and then we found out after that that uh, I think during an eviction. When he, when he then said, when he then said, ha, you've evicted the wrong person, uh, that he just used his brother's uh, social security number because his brother had a better credit, better rental history, all that sort of stuff. So check the ID, check the uh, where they say they're living, the manager's name. Uh, what about employer? Yeah, we uh, we will call employment references. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of so untrusting of what I see that I won't even call the number that they put on the application. I will look up the, the phone number of the business. You know, Google has been a huge help with our business because it's so much easier to just call the McDonald's or wherever it is that they say that they're working uh, rather than call the cell phone number that they gave me, which could be anybody. Um, and uh, saying, Oh, sure. He's a great employee. Uh, so yeah. Uh, you verify all that information. You verify everything that they told you. Um, that's where the credit report really helps out when it comes, especially to addresses and things like that. Is that uh, you know one of the big things with a credit report to me is not just to see how they are with credit, but to check past addresses because any place where that person has ever gotten credit, including getting a gas and electric bill in their name, that address will show up. So when they tell me, well, I've lived in the same place. I've lived with my mom for the last seven years. Oh yeah. And you pull up the you pull up the credit report and you see. Well, according to this, you lived in this place in 2013, you lived in this place in 2012, and this place in 2011, and you can call all those places or or cross-reference those against eviction filings um, on the court's website and find out the whole story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I normally find that when, when you know a couple in their 40s who have three kids tell me they've been living with their parents for the last seven years, it you almost don't need to go farther than that. You're going to find that the truth is they are being evicted now and they've been evicted five more times in the last six years. So, um, and, and, you know, you hate to, you hate to, to be cynical about people like this, but it's your investment you're protecting. I mean, what, what's the worst case scenario about putting someone who's lied about their ID, lied about their income, lied about their job into your house. Well, the worst case scenario is they do $10,000 worth of damage in four months. And if you don't think that that's possible, you haven't been around long enough. And also uh, that they stick you for three, you know, two or three months rent on top of that, which is uncollectible because they don't actually have a job. So there's nothing to garnish. I mean, it can it can be very bad. And this process that you're talking about takes much longer than what most people do, which is they call the number that's listed as the employer's number and they talk to the brother. They call the number that's listed as the landlord's number and they talk to the boyfriend. And it takes 20 minutes and they're ready to go. This this process, if you're doing it right, is going to take you an hour or more. Yeah. And, and isn't that hour worth the, the extra time and aggravation and all that? I mean, um, I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one tip that I found lately is that um, if you have difficulty finding an address on the um, or finding a phone number for somebody on the, um, uh, you know, anything, especially like apartment complexes and things like that, use Google Maps and go to the Street View and 
there's a sign that Google Maps took a picture of that's got the phone number of the rental office. <laughs> that's something I've been doing quite a bit lately with, um, you know, because you, you have these apartment complexes uh, that maybe the name doesn't match up to something. Um, so, you know, if you put the address in, you can you can sometimes track that thing down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true. Now, we've had a couple of questions come in from listeners uh, at, who've gone to realliferealestate.com and filled out the Ask a Question box. The first one is... Uh, Kyle from Dayton would like an explanation on why you would not rent to attorneys. <laughs> well, the the philosophy is that attorneys have access to free legal advice and can really tie you up on things. So um, now keep in mind, this is not my personal philosophy, <laughs> but it is the philosophy of an investor that I speak to very often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've heard that too. I've heard there, there's certain professions that I don't want to rent to, and, and professions in most states are not a protected class, although you need to be aware that if you live in a state where source of income is a protected class, that that usually means you can't reject a Section 8 tenant, but it, it the argument could be made that it also means you can't reject somebody who their source of income is that they are an attorney. And uh, the one I've heard about attorneys and other people related to that, you know, attorneys, paralegals, law students, people like that, is that they solve all their problems with the court. So when if they won't pay their rent, instead of instead of moving out or, you know, accepting the eviction, they go through the whole, I'm going to ask for a jury trial, I'm going to countersue you, I'm going to do all this stuff, uh, because they have... They don't have to pay an attorney to do it, right? They're they're they're, mm-hmm. they're they're doing it themselves. And what they figure is, you do have to pay an attorney, so you will not follow through, right? Because it's going to be a lot more expensive to you than it is to them. Um, I know a property, another property manager who uh, won't rent to strippers, <laughs> and, and the the uh, the reasoning is that their income is not garnishable. I mean, what do you do? Go to the strip club and pull the dollars out of their g-strings? I mean, you can, they don't—they don't have reported income where you can send their employer something and say, "Hey, she owes me nine hundred dollars. Take it out of her paycheck." Right? Uh, not that that's a huge problem here in this part of the country. We don't have a lot of strip clubs here, but I—I I, I thought that one was pretty funny. So uh, we have another question here from Steve in Cincinnati, and he says, "How do I get my hands on?" John's point system. Uh, I'll tell you what, Steve. If we get enough requests, if you go to realliferealestate.com and go to the ask a question thing and say, I want a copy of John's point system, if we get enough requests for that, we will just post it up on Real Life Real Estate next week and everybody who wants it can download it. I don't think it's a big secret, is it, John? No, no. And I, I will make a deal, Vina, to your listeners. Anyone who comes in to the OREA conference, um, <laughs> any attendees at the OREA conference who come and see me in the bookstore, I will print a copy out for them. Wow, you better make like 700 copies. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, com and just hit the ask a question button and request it or walk into the bookstore at the, at the National New Strategy Summit and John will get you a copy. Uh, all right, so you're, you've checked now identity. Do they, in fact, live where they say they live? And that's uh, partly a function of just looking at the credit report and seeing what addresses are reported there. Mm-hmm. Is the person they gave you as a landlord reference really the owner? 
Uh, is the person they gave you, is their employment reference really the employer or is it a friend of theirs just saying, oh, yeah, he makes a million dollars a month? Anything else is really important to look at. Well, um, you want to go to um, the local court website. Um, here, in, here in Hamilton County, we're, we're kind of spoiled with uh, courtclerk.org because they make it really easy to do um, criminal background checks and things like that there. Um, because you can, you can search not only for, you know, if you go into courtclerk.org, um, you can do a comprehensive name search and pull up criminal cases and um, court cases against them. Um, one thing about credit reports is they, they do tend to sometimes be slow to update. So you may find yourself in a situation where, you know, even if your report is would tell you that somebody has had an eviction filed on them in maybe 15 to 30 days before that shows up on their report. So going to the local court court's website, you can usually pull that up and see if a recent eviction has been filed. You know, is this person looking because the eviction was just filed yesterday and they're trying to beat their way out of this eviction that's coming up in three weeks? Uh, so the criminal background check, obviously, is a very important thing. Um, it's it's helpful to ask people as part of the application process, do you have any criminal convictions that we may want to know about? Um, and you'd be surprised how many people will just be flat out honest with you and say, well, yeah, I served a few years for drugs or, or you know, I had a assault charge or whatever. So, you know, again, if you if you have your standards and you say, I'm willing to rent to somebody who has a, a conviction as long as it's not for drugs, sex, or violence, or I'm willing to rent to somebody who has a, a felony conviction if it's more than 10 years old and they didn't spend that entire 10 years in the pen not able to do anything else. Um, <laughs> You know, th- those are those are things that can help you pre-qualify this tenant before you start really delving into this process. But mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the the criminal background check obviously is an important thing, and the eviction check uh, is an important thing because just they've got their current landlord all squared away. You know, maybe they've been good for the last year or eighteen months or whatever. But do you, you know, how much do you care about the evictions that may have occurred a few years before? And again, this is all part of setting your own standards, you know, and uh, in some neighborhoods around town where I have clients I'm working with, they're like, you know, I know I'm not going to find anybody who has no eviction. So as long as their eviction is two years old or more, if they, if they have a good reference for two years, I'm OK with with eviction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, again, those are those are your standards. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we need to take uh, another quick break. When we come back, we will wrap this all up in a bow and talk about uh, what the what the other other stages of this process are and what to do next. If you have any questions, listeners, go to realliferealestate.com and fill in the Q&A box or give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is John Jones. We're talking about uh, one aspect of his job as property manager, which is screening, 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 screening. Out of curiosity, John, in in your particular business, uh, what percentage of applications that you take are rejected based on one of these uh, things we're talking about versus accepted? Well, because of the the business that I'm doing right now, where we have most of our stuff is done through agents and things like that, we actually reject a very small number. Um, now, previously, when I was working, you know, for the family for the family business, we were rejecting about seventy five percent of the applications that came in. 
And it was mostly for material lies on the application. You know, they, they forgot to mention the, the long stretch in prison or <laughs> the fact that they'd been evicted three times, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, currently we're probably rejecting under 10 percent of the uh, of the applications that we get. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's a that's about um, doing a better job of casting the net to get the tenants, you know, going through the MLS and things like that, 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 uh, you know, we as agents are able to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have a question here from, uh, I'm sorry, I I tapped the question and some more emails downloaded and uh, I lost the question. Uh, Okay. this, This question is from, where did it go? Uh, all right. Well, while I'm trying to while I'm trying to find the question in my newly filled up uh, email box here, uh, questions that you're asking about um, uh, financial stuff. You know, do you have yeah. a bank account? Uh, what are your uh, do, you, do you ask questions about other debts owed? I mean, does that weigh at all into your decision about whether or not someone can afford it? You know, if I have if I make three thousand dollars a month but i have a thousand dollar payment on my jag does that even get taken into account the way it would at at a for a mortgage or something yeah and and again you know it depends on it depends on the client uh more so um we actually present them with a rough debt to income ratio which is something that we are able to pull up from the credit reports you know if their stated income is uh thirty six thousand dollars and then they have a thousand dollars in monthly bills then their debt to income ratio just is a really rough uh, calculation is about 33%. And it, really it, where it weighs in is, you know, when you get people who are like 70% of their of their income is allocated towards stuff that shows up on their credit report, you know, that could be a real concern. And that's that's something else that you should really consider uh when you're when you're thinking about this. And and um uh, you know, one of the things that you see a lot is um people who have like very high child support um payments and things like that. Uh, that is something that, you know, if they don't if they don't pay the child support, they can go to jail. So that kind of takes a higher priority to them than paying the uh, than paying the rent. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, very good. So qu- the the question here from Chris in Grand Rapids is uh, he, uh, he or possibly she says I I understand that if you are rejecting somebody based on something you found on their credit report, you have to put that in writing under the Fair Credit. Uh, she put in the um, acronym here. I think it's the uh, Fair Credit Reporting Fair Credit Act Reporting or something. Act. Uh, but she says, what happens if you are rejecting them for something like they lied to you on the application, they have a felony record, something like that? Do you have to put that in writing when you tell them that they don't get the unit? My philosophy is it's always best to put it in writing anyway, because you you want it to be clear and unambiguous why they're being rejected. And you know, you can send, you can have a form letter that you send to them that says um, uh, your application is rejected for the following reasons. Material lies on your application. If you don't get to the point where you run their uh, credit, you technically do not have to. Um, obviously, the Fair Credit Reporting Act doesn't apply in that case. So if you um, you you don't necessarily have to give them something in writing if you have not pulled their credit report. But it's always a good idea to do so, in my opinion, because, as I said, it makes it unambiguous. That way they can't come back to you and say, well, you told me on the phone that you're rejecting me because you don't like the fact that I'm a Muslim. Well, no, I told you in writing that I'm rejecting you based on the fact that, you know, I found material lies on your application. You lied to me about 
where you've been living for the last few years. So therefore, that's why your application's rejected. Um, it's best not to beat around the bush. You just state a clear reason why it is that you do that. Um, if you are using a credit service or things like that, uh, they will very often have a notice of adverse action form available because that form has to have on it information about where you got their credit report because any anytime someone they don't even have to be rejected if if they do not qualify for whatever offer it is that you're making because their credit is uh, is in such a state that you say I will rent to you but I want a higher security deposit you technically are required to send them an explanation of why they were not treated the same as as an applicant who had perfect credit and they and they're entitled to get a copy of their credit report mhm Mm-hmm. Uh, have a question here from Gary, who does not say where he is from. And he said, uh, John stated early on that a higher application fee would be a solution to having people not lie to you on their applications. Do tenants not get suspicious about high application fees, as in maybe you're actually making your money off the application fees as opposed to really wanting to rent a unit? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question, but... <laughs> You know, unless you're collecting nine applications a month on your $450 a month apartment, I think you'd rather have the uh, <laughs> you'd rather have the the rent coming in. If you have someone who who questions you about the application fee, we we charge a $30 application fee for each person over the age of 18. And the reason why we do that is because the credit reporting service that we use charges us $29.50 for each report that we run. So it's not a profit center for us to to collect applications. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, if we if we go on to do verifications on the application, have the service actually check the landlord reference for us, uh, we lose money every time we run an application. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if you charge somebody fifty bucks for an application fee and they question you on it, you can always say, "Hey, I'll make you a deal. If your application passes, we'll take the fifty bucks off your first month rent." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we've we've only got about ninety seconds here, John. But I wanna I wanna cover something that we haven't really talked about so far. Everything that you've talked about checking goes toward can they pay? Like, do they have the income to pay? And will they pay? As in, does their credit report and past rental history say that they tend to pay their rent? The other big concern, though, is are they going to keep the unit in good condition? How do you? objectively uh, identify the folks who are likely to leave the place in approximately the same condition when they leave as when they moved in? Well, obviously, landlord reference is going to be a big decider there. Um, some some landlords will do, you know, personal inspections of houses. And if you own a few units and, and you're renting to people who are also in town, you could do I mean, I've I've heard some landlording speakers who would say, yeah, just, just make up an excuse and drop by their house. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't have you sign this form. I thought I'd stop by and uh, and and check this out, and then you can then you can see the condition of their house. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but um, we we tend to rely on the landlord references. And when we when we talk to somebody and they say, well, my landlord's a slumlord, and the reason why I'm being evicted is because I told them they had to fix things and they didn't. I'm going to believe the landlord more often than I believe the tenant. Mm-hmm. Um, the landlord has less reason to lie to me about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and for folks who are in the greater Cincinnati area who are or want to be landlords, just want to give you guys a heads up that uh, next Thursday, not tomorrow, but Thursday a week, uh, Jeffrey Taylor, Mr. Landlord is going to be in town at the Cincinnati RIA meeting. And uh, if you've never seen him, he's awesome. It's a, you know, he gives a great, entertaining, wise presentation. 
Uh, and that is a guest night at Cincinnati RIA. So all guests attend free and you can get a free pass at uh, CincinnatiRIA.com. So, John, thank you for your help today in helping us understand what we really need to be going through to get good tenants. And we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.